you know, it really goes through kind of a human's journey with eating and body image issues, plus what it encapsulates what I needed to recover. I boiled down all those years into 12 steps that I believe I needed to recover. And when you say, did it, you know, did it keep functioning as something? Certainly it never functioned consciously as anything. It was just something that I needed to do. And it was a way of life and it was just drilled. And I think, you know, driving down the street, look at the freeze your fat off. There's, there's this villainization of, of people's size that is so unfair and so cruel to many people. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Ali Spots de Lazar. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed professional clinical counselor, a certified eating disorder specialist, and a person on the other side of her own decades-long struggle with food and body image battles. Her new book is Meaningful, 23 Life-Changing Stories of Conquering Dieting, Weight, and Body Image Issues. Welcome, Allie. Thank you for having me on, Ronit. This is very, I mean, it's just cool. I'm really happy to have you on, and we have a lot to get into. We have so much to talk about, and I want to make sure we cover it all. So you are a therapist, and and did you always know that you wanted to work in this field? No. Oh, no. In fact, when I had my eating issues and eating disorders and body image and blah, 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 I thought there's absolutely no way I would ever work in this field. Mm. I was too, I felt like I was too messed up. Interesting. So when you were being treated and when you had help, what was your view of the people on the other side of the chair? Oh, wow. Okay. In truth, um, most of the time for much of my life, I actually didn't get help with this because when I was a kid, I tried treatment and it was really like, it was super new. Um, I mean, I, I think they had just really recently realized that um, Karen Carpenter had mm-hmm. died and they, you know, introduced this term anorexia nervosa. I think that's really when it became public. And that, I mean, I am that old girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about the same age because I remember, this is kind of a strange thing to say, but that Karen Carpenter was sort of my sort of benchmark flagship case of anorexia, yeah. if I can say it that way, that, that yeah. made me even aware of what it was. Exactly. So suffice it to say that treatment was really in its infant stages. And I'm so grateful it has grown. I think if it had remained there, I never would have worked in this field, mm. um, you know, just period, because I did not have a great time with treatment. However, mm. I kept trying. And that's what I would want to say is, you know, keep going back. Your therapist is someone that you need to feel like you can trust, that you need to feel like you can have a relationship with. It's not just the person you're assigned to. Mm. And so I had a lot of really terrible therapists Mm -hmm. and I did not talk about the eating, didn't talk about the body image until much, much, much later in my life. Was that a product? I'm curious, because I think this is really an interesting area to delve into for a moment. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was a product of where you were in your life and what you were ready for as much as who the therapists were, or was one more significant in in your, your lack of talking about it? Man, that's a great question. First answer would be, 
part of having, well, this all rolls into a whole big messy thing, but basically when a person is dieting and they kind of go overboard with the dieting, they usually don't realize that they've gone overboard with the dieting. They just kind of think they're just failing at dieting. Mm-hmm. I Sometimes I felt like that. And sometimes I knew I had an actual clinical eating disorder, but because treatment had been so icky and mm-hmm. I just felt that, you know, the eating disorder, they eat whatever, the eating issues, however we want to talk about the ebb and flow of the severity. I just figured it was going to be with me for my whole life. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went to therapy at different times for different things. And the, so to answer, you know, about the eating disorder, that was not going to come into the room. And Mm -hmm. I, in some ways I regret that because I think it could have shortened the duration of my struggles. Um, but in other ways, I don't regret it because I had a lot of super, super, super crappy therapists. Yeah. And and that is something that comes up a lot, uh, this idea that you can have a really bad doctor or you can have a really bad therapist. They have the certification and the degrees, but they're still people and people are such a mixed bag. So did your therapist, and we're going to go back in a sec and and kind of get to the start of what you realized was your disordered eating, but did you visibly seem like someone who might need to be asked about an issue with eating or what were you able to cover it in those sessions? Um, Throughout much of my, I went all over the place. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I looked like I needed help. Um, when, When I first started because anorexia nervosa was the first thing I really went through. And it wasn't my first diet, but for some reason it just really caught on and just kind of, I went down a slide and it was just out of control Mm. with the dieting and restricting. So at that point, I didn't see myself as alarming. In fact, I still saw myself as in need of losing more weight, but other people saw me as alarming. So Mm. that was interesting. Right. Of course. Right. Um, And that's part of it. And then throughout the other, you know, I think, gosh, I did over two decades of struggles in different ways. And throughout much of the other time, my body would be normal. Uh, There was a period it was much, much larger. It was out of regular, you know, normal, quote unquote, sized clothes, which Mm -hmm. normal is such a strange word anyway. Sure. Um, So I think anytime you don't look like you're struggling and someone's not educated for what to see in the face, I Mm -hmm. think, in fact... It's so funny. I was talking with someone the other day. I had met, there was a particular celebrity who um, was very, very open about eating disorders and one of the first ones. And I met her one day and I just thanked her for, you know, being so open. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and I saw her size me up and down and she said, stop it. I know you're doing it. Wow. So I think somebody trained or somebody really knowledgeable at different times could have seen if I was struggling, but a lot of other times it's just not visible. You can't mm-hmm. see when someone's normal weight, you don't know that someone can still have bulimia or uh, atypical anorexia, which means that they're doing everything and is it's just as dangerous as someone with skinny, skinny anorexia. Right. And there are also people who are uh, have bigger BMIs, who have a higher number BMI, who can yeah. also have an eating disorder like that too. And that, that's what I mean, like anywhere mm-hmm. from regular size up. And um, the BMI, as we've really discovered, is not necessarily reliable. Mm-hmm. When you think about elite athletes testing out as, you know, quote unquote, overweight or ob- obese, it's not super right. reliable. Plus, 
people have different builds. Not all of us are supposed to be in a particular, we're not all supposed to be in the particular range that the mathematics of the BMI determined. Right. And I'm curious at this stage in your life, which I realize I'm like teasing this whole interview because we have to go back and get to the inception. But were (laughs) you in a significant relationship? Did you have someone that was intimate with you emotionally or even physically that was there to witness this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, in the book, Meaningful, the third section is actually the section from carers. And that means family, um, parents, teachers, those who are seeing people and watching. And often when a person has an eating disorder or eating issues, because remember, I think we ebb and flow, you know, the whole 20 years, I I don't know if I would have been clinically in an eating disorder the Mm -hmm. whole time. Mm -hmm. And you flow in and out of different diagnoses, or at least I did. Um, So my, of course, my family witnessed, in fact, my brother we were on a vacation and my brother was the, the one to look at my vertebrae when mm. I was really skinny and say, mom, you know, something, something's up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mom, you know, mom and dad were there the, yeah, I think the whole time, even mm-hmm. when I didn't live at home, yeah, they were there. So can you take me back to, and I know this is a really complicated subject, so please steer me how you'd like to steer me, but your first, I guess your first awareness that you were doing something uh, on purpose to change the way your body looked. Oh, that was like, I was probably nine or 10. I started dieting. And, and what happened? Like, what was the trigger for that? If there was one? It's so just pressured on women to lose weight, no ma- kind of no matter what weight we are, there's this pressure on our bodies, on attractiveness, on, you know, it, in all truth, if I really look back, I was a super sensitive kid and I probably just wanted to feel as safe as I could in the world. So, you know, one of the things, there's studies that kids start to know that if you change your eating, you can start to lose weight around, I believe it's six years old. Wow, that's so young. I know, it's so sad. And then by eight, okay, so like, I think it was, I wish I had this research in front of me, but three to five, they might be like, "Um, only that one can be the real prince us because she's thin right. enough. Right. And then around six, they start getting the idea that if you change food, it might change your body. And then by eight, you combine an idealization of thinness with an ability to understand what dieting is. And it's already, it starts with kind of parroting, in my opinion. And then I can't say this is the only factor to start mm-hmm. all this, but I do think it's a heavy influence. I am so curious about how much of it can happen in a vacuum and how much of it happens when you're around a friend group or family members, because I'm sure, I'm sure there's a different type of trajectory for everyone because we're all different people. But if you have someone in the house who's dieting or who talks about weight, I've heard plenty of stories, even from loved ones of people criticizing the way they looked early and even recommending diet pills at you know, very, very early ages. And these were different generations. People who tell their children, you really can't have another serving of that because, you know, you're going to, you know, all kinds of things. And then there's also a friend group or peers who might introduce the concept. You know, I remember I was in college, I think the first time someone even told me about throwing up after eating. Oh my gosh. I was just going to ask you actually, um, do you, you know, I don't know this. 
Do you have any dieting body image type issues yourself or or have you been of able course. to Of course, I'm a woman. <laughs> I just and and plenty of men have it too. I mean, yeah. I don't think I've ever had I'm sure I have the average Western woman's preoccupation, fascination, concern, and um, irritation with the whole thing. And sometimes it flares and sometimes it doesn't. I don't, I've never been in counseling for it. And I don't, I don't think it controls my life too much. Uh, I think my, my perception is that I have a pretty good balance of, you know, perspective on it. But I recall watching, uh, I mean, I'll share this with you because we were about the same era, I think, watching the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve and looking at Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane, and thinking, she is really skinny. And also thinking, am I ever going to look like that? Is that what happens when you grow up? Yeah. Um, But of course, that wasn't a natural amount of weight for someone. Yeah. Interesting. But that's, did you kind of want to be the Margot Kidder of Of that? Of course. So interesting. So I guess what something beautiful that you're pointing out is there are, there can be so many different influences. And, you know, if let's say three kids are all raised, let's just say that that somewhere in some family, three kids are all raised the same way. One may get an eating disorder. The other two may not. So, so it certainly is not causal, but different people are influenced by different things. And then according to the research, we have like a vulnerability button. And if it gets turned on, and that's usually through a combination of environment and biology, once Mm -hmm. it goes on, like for me, I started dieting much before I ended up kind of going down the chute of anorexia. Mm -hmm. But I do remember, I remember it took over and I was driven it mm-hmm. took over my life. It took over a lot. And something else you said earlier, you nailed it. It's not just women. You know, do I think that television and images, like for men, those poor guys, I, I just feel bad. Like we all kind of try to go, I wouldn't say we all, but we are told to go against our natural builds often. Yeah. Men are often slimmer and yet the T-frame and the ripped, you know, the ripped chests and the big old shoulders. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I don't think anyone really escapes this. And I'm wondering at at nine years old, you know, I suppose you put yourself on a diet or whatever it was you, you tried to do. When did, did you get any kind of feedback from your family? Any compliments like, oh, you've lost weight or and I, and I speak from experience and from talking to so many friends about this kind of a thing. Did you get any kind of outside reinforcement or where was your confirmation that you were on the right track? What, how did you know, oh, I want this. This is good. Uh, that took a lot. Okay. So number one, dieting was just a way of life. It was, if I really kind of go back, there were some magazines and some celebrity, what they ate. And, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be, I was such a geek. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was such a geek. I had these big glasses and knock knees. I couldn't play sports, like just super goofy outcast, smart kid, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd sit under the slide and read every day. Um, But I would, you know, fantasize. This sounds so simple. And and I cannot say it was my trigger because looking back, I think there were multiple things. I I had a gnarly bullying incident, but that's the one I remember really thinking, you know, I am going to get myself as safe as I possibly can in the world. Um, And that meant fixing my body. 
And so the bullying happened about your appearance? I don't even remember what the bully, I mean, I kind of do. The bullying was just making fun of anything that could be made fun of. And it Mm -hmm. was just this pervasive feeling of, let me see what I can do to get safe. Mm -hmm. Now, when you said, did you get any influence? I'll give you two really interesting examples about it. And one of them was when the height of my anorexia, somebody, and you know, please forgive me for this sounding kind of gross, but someone stopped me and they were a legitimate modeling agent, gave me their card and they were like, you could be a model. So, you know, here I am basically starving myself to death. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Maybe I can do something with that. And then that would be really safe. Maybe I'll get on a billboard. I mean, right. Well, I love your description of that as being safe. Let me do whatever I can do to be safe. Because I think that, I think a lot of us can relate to that. And I also think our idea of what makes us safe is different for all of us. And yours, you found yours. You made this decision, like this equation. This was one of them. Yeah. And then interestingly, when you said, did you get any feedback? There was also this really sweet friend's mom who came up to me. She was a nurse and she, I remember the outfit I was wearing. It was this thing that had a really tight waist. And when I could fit into it, I knew I'd done well. And um, she said, listen, I'm, uh, I'm really getting worried about you. This, this is not normal. Something's wrong. And I remember her thinking, Oh, she's trying to sabotage my life because that's how the eating, like that's how somebody with eating issues or eating disorders, especially might think. Um, I am not a jerky person in life at all, but boy, was my eating disorder jerky. I was sure putting me caring for me. You're sabotaging me. How old were you at that point? I think I was 12 or 13, but I actually found her on Facebook, um, God, so many years later and just said, thank you for, for noticing and caring. And did your parents notice? Um, yes, they did. They definitely did. They put me in treatment. Um, you know, when the vertebra is poking out, you can't help but notice. But then throughout, I think the many, many years after, because I really had mastered being perky and ha- like, if you looked through pictures, you would have no idea. I look joyful. Uh, so I don't, and I, my weight was, was fine. In fact, my weight was, you know, bigger and normal and all of those different things. So nobody could really see how much time it took, how much energy it took, how much health mm-hmm. it was compromising. I would get dizzy. I would, you know, spin. I, um, I was not okay at different times, but I didn't care as long as you couldn't see it. Right. And if people aren't as familiar with the eating disorder mind, and I know I don't know nearly as much as, as I could, but that idea of not feeling well like that, were were those sort of affirming symptoms that you? Nope. No, no. Don't care. It's kind of, it's part of the eating. If someone has an eating disorder, there's a really great chance that they will think nothing of physical signs. Um, It's not that serious. It won't Mm -hmm. happen to me. Um, Who cares as long as I'm trying to get to where I'm trying to go? Oh gosh, I just got where I was trying to go. It doesn't feel any different. I'm going to go five more. Yeah. Um, It's something happens in the brain. And I have not, you know, for as much as I've studied and and I'm a certified eating disorder specialist and I've published and I've taught, 
I haven't really understood yet the neurobiology of why our thinking is it the malnutrition that changes our thinking mm. so much, but there's a pattern of thinking and there's this thing I had to look up how to say it because I guess I was saying it wrong for years, but it's anosognosia. It's they used to say or they would define it as the denial of seriousness. Interesting. And it's like, no, there's an unawareness of mm -hmm. seriousness or a blowing off of seriousness, mm -hmm. but it's not it's uh, it's not an active choice of I'm going to take that in. That's very threatening. And I'm going to deny it. It's just like, no way I'm keeping on my path. Exactly. And when you were keeping on your path, do you know, I know from what you mentioned earlier, what you were trying to do as a kid in terms of getting safe. Do you know what you were afraid of? Or was it just not even certain anymore when you got into your teens and young adulthood? You know, you're still in the disease. And so did being safe or trying to be safe or what you were afraid of morph into something else? I would say that it just become a, a way of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I nicknamed it, it, you know, in my in my story and meaningful, because I figured if I'm going to gather everyone's, you know, different people's stories and share things, I, I should probably open with my own. And so yeah. mine is the longest and I think the absolute most boring of all the stories in there. But why I thought it was really valid is because it stretches through the different eating disorders plus non-clinical. You know, it really goes through kind of a human's journey with eating and body image issues plus what it encapsulates what I needed to recover. Mm -hmm. I boiled down all those years into 12 steps that I believe I needed to recover. And when you say, did it, you know, did it keep functioning as something? Certainly it never functioned consciously as anything. It was just something that I needed to do. And it was a way of life and it was just drilled. And I think, you know, driving down the street, look at the freezer fat off. There's this villainization of people's size that is so unfair and so, cruel to many people. Um, there's a, the activist in me has so much heart. You know, I'm born into a body that is average size, but not everybody's born into a body that's average size. And so they can be struggling their whole lives, trying to shrink and being invisible with their struggle. They can kill themselves trying to get thinner. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it's, I think about it a lot because I, I wonder, I mean, I know there are so many reasons, but how this, this is like a runaway train, yeah. the holy grail of the desired body type or what we're supposed to look like and feel. And, but you've done, I mean, you've changed a lot because you are now on the other side of this experience that dominated your life for how long, how long <laughs> were you... Over 20 years, and my weight vacillated more during that time than it has since I left doing any of that stuff. Dieting, over-exercising. Like when a body, when you can key in to kind of naturally how we were probably as kids, eating when we're hungry, stopping when we're full, realizing what we're cravings are, eventually you actually, like your body just like is happy. And interestingly, I think we got off, I forgot to say, um, regarding my mom, mm. the, the third section, I actually end the book with my mom's story of what her experience was like witnessing me. And the other thing, we have to cut my mom a lot of slack. Um, she had a brain tumor bigger than a softball. 
So even, you know, we just like, there's no way I can, I think, I think something earlier that I felt like you were maybe nudging toward and, and maybe I'm just sensitive to it is a lot of people, I think, blame family and family can provide some context and family can get more protective. Uh, you know, like we can change the environment as a therapist. I, when somebody allows me into their home, we can change some things around to get more protective and they may not always need to be protective of the, you know, of helping someone recover from an eating disorder, but while they're recovering, they do need to get more protective. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I just can't hold my parents like super accountable. You know, it is very easy to jump to the conclusion that something happened with your parents or something yeah. happened. It's very easy. And it's kind of, I think it's, we want to hear that there's this causal relationship, I think. Yeah. But there's so much more, so much more going on that can trigger it, as you said, because something gets turned on within the body and it's sort of like a perfect storm, I think, and, and it's nature and nurture. Yeah. And it's like, the, you know what? In some ways, who cares? I guess that's another nonchalance I have now. It's like, mm -hmm. Who cares how it started? Let's get the button off. Yeah. If you want the button off, if you want the button off a little, if you want a dimmer switch to go down, let's just work on that. 20 years of this. So how old are you? And, and did you have an aha or was this a slow and, and definitely keep some suspense for your book, Sure. but maybe just a couple of breadcrumbs. Interestingly, people can sometimes just get sick of it. For me, I would say that I did not have an aha moment. I had a bunch of stuff build up together. And one of the most helpful pieces was feeling super angry. And anger often takes a terrible rap because, you know, it's, I guess it's on, there's just all sorts of things about anger. Maybe it's out of control, unladylike. Mm -hmm. We have judgments about it. I think it's freaking awesome because it gives you, <laughs> it gives you a sense that something's not okay. Something needs your attention and it's mm. your body being like, Hey, you're not listening to me. So I'm really going to get your attention. <laughs> so I got super angry. I, one of my kind of triggers that, Hey, this is not necessarily the life I want. And by the way, I was seeing an excellent therapist at this time. I did not tell her about my eating stuff. Um, even though in all truth, a friend of mine at the time was like, you know, I'm not going to be your friend if you don't go see someone. I know you're you're doing a lot of things and I'm not going to name all the behaviors, but she knew. Um, again, sometimes people just know. And so I was like, okay, fine. I really like this girl. I want to be her friend. So I'll go see her stupid therapist. So, <laughs> so long short is um, this therapist was, gosh, I have seen, I still see this therapist just to maintain. And as a therapist myself, I need a place where when I get wrapped up in my work or something personal comes up, it's called counter-transference. I always want to be the best therapist I can be for other people. And that means my personal crap. I should have asked you if I could swear or not. Of course. Please go ahead. <laughs> I don't want my personal shit in the way. So mm -hmm. my I've kept with my therapist for years. Um, She's so great at helping me untangle things and get down to where I can be the best therapist I can be while also growing as a human in a separate way. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Um, so I, I had started with her. And so I got super pissed at looking all these at these photo albums. And I was like, what the hell? I don't know who this person is. I don't know what this occasion is, but I can tell you my weight. I can tell you my dress size. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. I'm looking <laughs> through 
photo album after photo album. And I have these experiences that people are saying, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Why are you on that parade float? Why this? Why that? What are you doing with that celebrity? And I'm like, I have no freaking idea. <laughs> so right. it really pissed me off. And so that and a few other things that I won't disclose here mm -hmm. lined up. I put them all into a ball and I walked into my therapist that I had been seeing for, I don't even know, might've been seven years, 10. I mean, it was a long time. And I was like, hey, so here's what I've been doing. I do this every day. I need accountability. And I just laid it all out. I was desperate. I was calm. Um, I was forthright and truthful for probably the first time. And I felt kind of bad that she hadn't known because I'd shared so many intimate things with her. And yet, you know, when she said I didn't know, I said, that's right. You weren't supposed to know. But now I'm sharing it. I need accountability. And I look back and I'm so grateful that, you know, she didn't let her, if she had a personal reaction, because I think any human being might have felt a little betrayed or a little like, you know, mm -hmm. why wouldn't you say that earlier? But she didn't. She showed up for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you're saying that that really, that was a great way for her to react or take in the information that made you feel comfortable. You know, she just said, I hadn't known. And can you tell me more or something like that? It was just so welcoming, but it wasn't like I had done anything bad or wrong yeah. to her by not telling her. It was just like, she, I think she had that moment as a human being of, whoa. And then when I was like, yeah, I didn't want you to, I'm telling you now, I want you to know now I need help. Here we go. I need accountability. How can we work together? And she was like, boom, she was with me. Wow. And so you started working. And at this point, were you, were you a therapist yet? No, no. I, I personally, there's a lot of debate about this out in the field. For me, the way that my eating disorder used to be, I've been recovered for a long time now. But I remember that sucker was so occupying of my mind. And, you know, it's just not something that I would feel ethical treat for me. I don't know if I would not, I would not be able to be present fully in the room with my person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's actually for years, people told me I should be a therapist. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, do you have any idea how effed up I am? I can't be. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but I okay. always loved helping people. I always, I was always that person people told their, you know, even like when people hated me, they would still come tell me their secrets. I'd help them work it out. And then they go back to their friend groups. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> I love helping people. Okay. So then, you know, you get to steer this, this last section of our conversation. So how did you conceive of the book? This book was the most, you know, forgive my word blessed. I don't mean that in a connotation with, you know, the almighty, but it, oh, whatever you think guides the universe, this sucker, I like, I just went by gut and just called people I barely knew, hadn't talked to, that my body told me who had a story. And I started by writing a proof of concept just to make sure that this would work because this was such a weird book in my head. It's what I needed 20 years ago. And I looked, nobody had written it. So I was like, oh my gosh, why don't I do it? Well, now that I've been through all the legal consults and all the, you know, learning how to write a book, I was like, no wonder people didn't do this. This is hard. <laughs> but it's hugely diverse and it, it tells so many people's stories. 
And we might have had, you know, a diet is a diet, but what's behind it is different. The triumph tends to be different. And so I wanted something to give to people that's not pressuring, but inspiring. Like I call this like one of the few feel good books about dieting and weight and body Mm. image, (laughs) because there's enough pain to feel for the storyteller and to identify. But then we go into the triumph and what helped them. It's like, you can just go down this aisle and pick out what appeals to you, try it, throw it out. It's not a program. So, and that's, you know, for anyone who hasn't taken a look at the book yet, it is a bunch of different people's stories as well as yours. So, you know, how do you describe it in your own words about the book? I wrote it to appeal to anyone who keeps trying to diet to get more out of life um, or struggles with, you know, body image and keeps wanting to fix that to get more out of life. This is a book that talks about more out of life. I do have to, you know, tighten up my pitch line here, but pursuing, like trying to lose that five and five and five and five could have killed me. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't my meaningful life. I had to find what I had hoped that five pounds was going to give me and the next five and the next five. Mm -hmm. So it's really a book about people going through these things and conquering their issues in a way that is life enhancing and life Mm -hmm. filling and, you know, wellness expanding. BMI and weight are not the only elements of wellness. If you're not feeling satisfaction or purpose, you're not going to be that well. Yeah. And so do you think, and unless this is giving too much away, um, did you do you feel like you found what it was you were looking for that had been about body and weight before you realized what it was really about? Well, I'm, I think that I have quite an appetite, and I use that word not as a pun. There's just so much more in life. It took a long time after recovering to actually feel joy. I just thought that like, well, cool, whatever. I'm in this contentment zone, like life's fine. And for me, I really love purposefulness. I, I've, I've really found not necessarily what, what that was trying to find for me, but I've found a lot of joy in life, a lot of purposefulness, a lot of meaning, a lot of pain, because that also, there's always going to be a balance to any trait. But I've found a life that feels worth living. And when I was so wrapped up in dieting and body images and trying to lose weight and the pathology of it, life didn't really feel, you'll see pictures and I look like I'm loving life, but I was not loving life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so your hope is to help kind of, I mean, there's so much for people in the book, but to support and sort of help people see themselves in these stories and feel there's a way out To find, listen, even if their lives, if they find one thing in it that makes their life just a little better and a little freer and a little more fulfilling, that's great. I'm not, this is not a book about, you know, full recovery. It's not even an eating disorder book. Mm -hmm. Why I put in eating disorder stories was if somebody's struggling with, you know, quote unquote, a mild issue, then wouldn't someone who's struggling with something serious, wouldn't their story possibly offer them something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, and then another piece of, of something that really drove this book is I meet more people who really think that 
they're just not doing their diets right. And really they've gotten so obsessed with it and it's taken over their lives. And it's just, you know, whether we call it an eating disorder or we call it losing our lives to chasing something, Mm -hmm. unless you want to live that life, I want to offer some ways to, to live a different life. Yes. And you know, something that just, this is kind of a, I think this is kind of a sticky question or a controversial question, and but I'm going to try to frame it or phrase it in a way that I mean it, which is that when people lay down their dieting sword, you know, for lack of a better description and, and find peace. And I have spoken to body positivity advocates and people who are trying to spread the word about this. You mentioned it earlier that you're in this body that's considered a normal weight and a normal size, normal in big quotes, right? Big quotes. Big, big quotes. Average. Um, Yeah, right, right. But I wonder if it's a different process for people who find themselves in a body that isn't tall or that isn't naturally on the more average side to get to this place and have the, the support societally. Yeah, that was so loaded. And I actually realized by me even quantifying or qualifying my body as average, that actually isn't even really true because it's in the eye of the beholder. And Oh, but that's but I I wasn't calling you on that. I'm no, I'm no, calling no, myself actually, on me because it is thin privilege, right? Like there's that idea yeah, of thin privilege. I was just gonna say, in all truth, like I don't I'm thin. Like my, like, so I, you know, I was a visitor in a large body for a while and like my heart, oh, my heart, this whole war on obesity and shares that stop at 250 pounds and seats on planes that people can't fit, like the amount of insidious um, war on people in larger bodies is heartbreaking. And it's one of the few discriminations that I believe is still legally allowed in most states. And because there's this gets so complicated, but there's this attachment of almost morality to how we eat. And then people in thinner privileged bodies will, you know, want to help someone in a larger body, whereas they don't know if that person has been dieting their whole lives and shut down their metabolism so much that now they live in a bigger body while they still starve. Like, it's it's so messed up and our Western medicine, the way that we have this quote unquote average, people in larger bodies often will avoid going to the doctor. That's not healthy, but they're going to get shamed. Yeah, Whatever it is, like I try to encourage people, if you're going to the doctor, whatever size you are, just ask the doctor, what would you give? What recommendation would you give to somebody in a thin body? Mm -hmm. Just filter it out, get what's going to help you. That opens up a whole other complicated thing. But no, it is absolutely not fair. And the amount of like just people even thinking that they're trying to do a nice thing by like giving weight loss tips to people in larger bodies unsolicitedly, it's mm-hmm. it, it's not okay. It's all not okay. Mm-mm. No, it's and I and I, didn't, I think that was really interesting, our little detour there. But I, I guess my wish is that people who don't, who present differently from what the standard is in Hollywood, for example, or in the media, that when those people decide to stop, when they get the courage or the strength or the, the, the feeling that you got, which is, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to live differently, that they are left alone to do that, right? Even if they don't present as a thin, privileged person, right? And that's kind of, 
Yeah. There are some groups now. There's like health at every size yes. has beautiful principles. Um, and so there's weight inclusivity. There's, you know, something I, I personally, when we're talking body positivity, that is origin. There's a social just, oh my gosh, there's just so much in here. But what mm -hmm. I'm going to say is for me, the phrasing, taking it out of any context of anything, it's body acceptance instead of body positivity or body love, because I don't want people's bodies to be its. Yeah. They are the suitcases that roll them through life, but their <laughs> insides, like think about it. If you throw a suitcase and it opens up in the airport, it's messy. Our skin is our suitcase. It rolls us through life. And I said that once and someone's like, well, if I have a beat up Samsonite, don't I want to fix it up and maximize it? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's your choice. But in the end, we all have different bodies. And to keep focusing on a body as separate from the whole person is just the opposite side of, let's say, body hatred, body love, you know? Mm -hmm. So let's go whole person, whole wellness. I would love to have more classes in school and talk about feeling words and internal qualities rather than you did a great job. More like, what was that like for you? Mm -hmm. Build the insides of people so that when, you know, I'm almost 50 and mm -hmm. my legs are hilarious with all the dimples. Now they may be, you know, straight and kind of slim, but holy God, are they different? Mm. I'm a rectangle with two toothpicks hanging from them. That's not how I grew up. But to be able to roll with how nature, how a car accident, how anything can change your body, we need to have an inside anchor of who we are, what our values are, what we value in others. And then I think we kind of have a shot of staying more stable in life. Where can people find you when, when they want to learn more about you and get the book? The book will be at Meaningful Read, and that's um, it's got a website, and all the socials are Meaningful Read. Um, so meaningfulread.com, and then as a therapist, it's therapyhelps.us, and that means it's like a sentence, like "Hey, therapy helps us." And you're on Instagram too. I am, and that is Meaningful Read. And mm -hmm. I had to learn how to do Instagram for this. <laughs> I, I'm actually really, I, it's very lovely to see your post there and your whole rollout for the book. And um, I will post your links in the show notes and on my website. And I am so happy we had this conversation and I'm endlessly fascinated and interested in this subject. And I know there's always more to learn. So um, I wish you so much luck with your book. And I know it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you. And thank you for, for being willing to share that, you know, we're all touched by it in different ways. I just really appreciate your kind of exposing that piece of view. It can be a private subject. So thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. I am all about, you know, shining a light on these things so we can hopefully connect with others. It's been a privilege, actually. Thank you. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.